morning. This morning, Dennis asked me to read uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. It's Matthew 14, 22 through 33. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day that you've given us. We have this day to come and worship you and praise you, and thank you so much for all the blessings you've given us. We just ask you to continue to help us in, in all the aspects of our life, and that we would always look to you, um, and, uh, and when the storms of, of life come our way, that uh, we, would, we would look to you and not uh, turn away and, and uh, pay attention to what's, what's going on. We would always have faith that you're going to take care of us. Father, we thank you and uh, ask you to continue to bless those who are asked for prayer this morning, those who are sick and suffering and are in need. And Father, we pray that you would uh, use us in any way that you can to, to help those around us and, and be a comfort to them. Uh, we pray that you would be with Dennis this morning as he brings us a lesson and uh, bless him and, and all the, the things that he has to say and, and to help us to learn. We pray that we would take it into our hearts and our minds and take it through throughout the week and uh, apply it in, in whatever ways we can. Uh, we just want to praise and, and glorify you and, and all the things that we do, and we thank you for Jesus and that uh, you allowed him to come down and die for our many sins on the cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we, uh, we struggled for so long without having full crowds because of COVID. And uh, it's quite a group we got here this morning. Maybe we haven't taken a moment to consider how large this congregation is at times. Uh, I would like to go back to something we've done in the past. And that would be everyone to stand up. Don't do it yet. Everyone to stand up and just recognize those around them. But we still have some COVID experience. So what I'd like you to do is stand up and give everyone a nice COVID wave of hi. So let's do that right now. Just wave hi to everyone from a COVID standpoint. We're glad you're here and glad you're part of the group this morning. Boy, that was a lot less noisy and a, lot, a whole lot quicker than normal, you know? 
we may have to do that again. So, Well, welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm able to be here this morning. Uh, I've really enjoyed the songs this morning. I don't know where Andrew got to, but uh, appreciate the, the songs that he's been leaving and the depth of, of spiritual content that those songs have. This text that uh, we read this morning is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I think it speaks volumes to us wherever we are at on our walk with Christ. And I think it, it can teach us things about ourselves that maybe we don't understand or haven't come to grips with yet. But I love the fact that God saw it in his wisdom to put this text there in the middle of Matthew. And uh, I think there could be sermons spoken of many different directions from this particular text. So we're going to look at that, this text this morning and see if we can find some ways to apply this to our lives. He was born in Columbus, Ohio, 1890, the third of eight children. At 11, he quit school to help with family expenses and got his first full-time job making $3.50, not per hour, Addie, but $3.50 a week. My granddaughter just got a job with an ice cream shop, so she, she can understand this, but $3.50 per week. That doesn't even buy you an ice cream cone, does it? No. All right. At 15, he got interested in automobiles and went to work in a garage at $4.50 a week. He got a dollar a week raise. How many of us would stay with our job if that's all we got was a dollar a week raise today? <laughs> he knew he would never get anywhere without more schooling. So he subscribed to a correspondence home course and began studying automobiles. Night after night, following long days at the garage, he worked at the kitchen table by the light of a kerosene lamp. His next step was already planned in his mind, a job with an automobile company in Columbus. One day when he felt ready, he walked into the plant, talked to the owner who was bent over a hood and said, Mr. Frere? And Mr. Frere says, well, son, what do you want? I just thought I'd tell you I'm coming to work here tomorrow morning for you. Oh, I wish I could do that in a job today. Tell someone I was coming to work for them in the morning. Oh, who hired you? Nobody yet. But I'll be on the job in the morning just the same. And if I'm not worth anything, then you can fire me. And sure enough, early the next morning, the young man walked into the garage. The manager wasn't there yet. He picked up a broom and cleaned the garage from front to end. Well, the rest of the boy's future was predictable. He went on to a national reputation as a race car driver and an automobile expert. In World War II, he was America's number one flying ace. World War I, I'm sorry. Later, he founded Eastern Airlines. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. I think we can all admire someone like Eddie Rickenbacker. And we can ask ourselves, do we have what he had? Do we have what it takes? But I've come to believe in my life that these things happen not out of circumstance, not out of luck, but out of choice. It's a choice. It's a choice to move, or it's a choice not to move. It's a choice to dare, or it's a choice to cower back and stay in the concept of not ever getting out of the boat. 
So I've come to the conclusion in my life, if you want to see good work or God work in new ways in your life, you must be willing to do new things. I think that's what drove Eddie in his concept of life. And I think we would do good to adopt that. When the Lord invited Peter to walk on the water, he said, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now the safe thing and the secure thing would have been for Peter just to stay in the boat. Don't get wet. Don't go where it's dangerous or you might feel uneasy. Just stay in that comfortable boat. We might say a lot of negative things about Peter and his personality or maybe even some of his actions, but one thing he was not, he was not a coward or the one who shrunk back from danger. His faith at times may have been misguided, but it was active and it was alive. And Jesus knew that Peter would respond to his beckoning call to come. Jesus calls each one of us to climb out of our easy chairs or away from our habitual dreary life and walk upon the waves of life to get out of the boat. And I want to ask you this morning as we go into this, this lesson, do you have courage to step out of the boat you're in? To feel the fear and the adrenaline of, of something new that you've never done before. Our journey this morning is to discover what Jesus knows about this and how he uses it to help everyone who decides in their life to step out of the boat and walk on the waves. I want to share with you eight things this morning that Jesus knows, and they will help you and I to live stronger lives for him and predictably more courageous lives. As many of you know, I, I go to work at a, on a homes I flip, but every morning I head east on 20 to go to Angola. And one of the great problems about this time of the year is the, is the fact that that sunrise as I head out is right there down the middle of that 20. And you know what you got to do when, when you're driving a road like that is, is you got to look at the sun but not look at the sun. You got to keep your eyes on the road or you're going to end up in the ditch. And I've often thought, well, if I could find a road that went off at a tangent at about 15 degrees this way, and then found another road that came back at a tangent this way to, to come into my home spot, I would take that route and avoid looking at the sun. And then I came to realization that, you know what? They may exist, but if you're doing the math in your head, am I going to get there quicker or later? Sooner or later, if I take that route. I'm going to get there later, aren't I? Yeah, that road is, route is going to take me longer. To go around the sun, it will take longer. I'll say that again. To go around the sun, your life will take longer. It may be in our spiritual walk that we might by chance stop looking at the sun. That we may choose to take another path in our life rather than the one that he has set before us to take. I have come to realize that, that when I take my eyes off of Jesus and move in my own direction, that if I come back to him, I've wasted a lot of time at that point. It would have been better for me to stand the course of looking at the sun spiritually 
and getting to the point where he wants me than for me to take my own path. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I believe, speaks to this. And it says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, the Hebrew writer is saying, don't take your eyes off the sun. Keep your eyes on the sun, and it will lead you to your destination quicker. Maybe not easier, because it is tough to look at that sun, isn't it? Jesus said, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus knew that obedience and faith must be expressed in the new actions if the believer is ever going to mature. We cannot believe that we are going to mature as a Christian if we do not take action as part of that maturing. Often new experiences require new decisions or choices that push us into a higher level of faith and obedience. Peter's choice to step out on the, on the water granted him the right to experience something new in his life. Something new that he had never done before. Did Peter know what to expect? I doubt it. Did Peter fear what would happen next? I believe it. Because that is what courage is. It is the determination to face danger head on, even when the expectations include hazards. It was faith and obedience that preceded Peter's dangerous decision but it was his choice to experience it that allowed him the right to grow through success or failure in that choice. And this is how the Lord works to perfect us. It's not in the simple and rep repetitious acts of uh, physical worship or study, but through true life struggles that we learn, through making hard decisions about our faith, through falling down again and again and again and getting back up to live anew. See, worship and study are easy, but faith working in my life, faith maturing me, pushing me, telling me to get back up again, that's the hard part about faith, isn't it? But there's something about that that intrigues me. There has not been a failure that I've come to in my life that I didn't choose to win against that didn't mean there wasn't excitement coming afterwards. The reward of praising God for taking me through a journey, whatever it is, that excitement is, is, is what I long for to know. And, and I think Paul talked about that, being crucified with Christ. He would learn about these things through what he gave up for Christ. And we so much want to hold on to who we are and what we have. That's to our distraction in this world. That's to our hurt. And I suggest to you that, that maybe tomorrow you might have an opportunity to step out of the boat. You will choose. You will choose to step or to stay. You will choose the excitement 
of uncovering something new? Or, eh, I'm okay. I'm safe. Canaanite woman came to Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering from a terrible demon possession. And what did the people around Jesus say? Those followers, those great, great minds of, of, the, of the disciples, what did they say? Send her away. Get rid of her. Throw her out. She came and knelt before Jesus. And he said, see, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed and actually was healed that very hour. What right did a Canaanite have coming to Jesus? I wonder if she thought about the risk of rejection when she came to him. She was not a Jew. She was a Canaanite. These were the people that Joshua pushed out of the promised land. The Gentiles even thought about this fact that, that this was a dog, that, that they didn't worship the God of Israel. They were guilty of sins of disobedience and idolatry, and they were unclean. This is the way this woman had been treated. And even all of her misery and difficulties in life, and with the demon-possessed daughter, she took a risk to move outside of her own boat, her own world, her own culture, and to appeal to a man who is known to her as a foreigner, a mystery. Even when she was rejected, she persevered through that humiliation, and the shame of begging demonstrated her willingness to stay out of the boat. And what did Jesus do? He honored that faith by granting her her petition. Sometimes we want to get what we want right away. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you're not quite humble enough yet. I need you to take a step further. And when we humble ourselves in such a light, Jesus honors us with our requests. We are so caught up in who we are as a people, as a person, that so many times we demand for our rights. We have the right to, we have the right to, the Constitution, and we get into all of that. And much like Aretha Franklin spelled out in the song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, tell me what it means to me. But in God's view, respect is given, not demanded. This Canaanite dog gave it to Jesus, the respect due him, and he rewarded her for it. How about you? Maybe, maybe I've placed myself on too high of a podium, wanting too much to have respect that no one dares say anything? In this day and age, it's tough to keep your mouth shut when someone is doing you wrong. Still, we see how Jesus acted and we follow his example. Jesus knows your faith. 
You might have to endure the shame. You might have to suffer for a little bit and be silent. But the truth of the fact is, there is no disappointment in Jesus. He will honor you for that. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Place yourself however you wish in this particular story. The truth is, if you won't risk what you have, you will lose it. If you won't risk telling others about Jesus, you won't know him. If you won't risk stepping into the work of the church, you won't be a part of it. If you won't risk offering what you own for Jesus, then it already owns you. Jesus knew that people who are not willing to change risk losing everything. And he offered that at the boat to change the person's world by giving up his comfort. God told Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing in Genesis 12, 1 and 2. And the Lord realizes that you and I and all people are tempted to stay with what is familiar and what is secure. But at the very underlying of our faith and understanding of God, we all know that God calls us to something greater in our life. To stare at the sun, to fix on that, and to find out what destination is in mind. I ask the Lord to help me to be more like Abraham, who staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but who grew strong in faith, being fully persuaded what God had promised he would fulfill and that he was able to deliver. One night a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the upper rooms and finally up onto the roof. The family was outside and the father stood on the ground and he says, son, jump, I'll catch you. But the boy was intimidated by the fire. He says, jump, son, and I'll catch you. And the boy looked down and, and the smoke had now blurred his eyes. He says, but father, I cannot see you. And his father replied, no, but I can see you. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. And we so many times want to be like that little boy on the roof. I can't see where I'm going. And we forget that there's a father there always ready and willing to catch us when we fall. Jesus knew that one must leave the country of comfort, of familiar people, of an easy household, if we ever wanted to get to the land of promise. In Matthew 4, verse 19, we read, The Lord Jesus called Peter and Andrew while they were casting a net into the lake of Galilee. He said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
I don't know what changes lie ahead of me, what I'll face tomorrow or next week, and neither do you. That's the reality of life. But I can be confident in one thing, that the character of my leader does not change. He is God the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And where God leads, he will also provide. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Man, I can't even imagine the power of all those alls and everything stacked up in that verse of what God is able to do through us and for us according to this verse. What more can we say than to know that Jesus calls each one of us to be the fishers of men we ought to be? And in this work, he will supply the power, the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom, and anything else we're afraid that we do not have. Every one of you, including myself, has a priority system within you, wired within your mind, within your heart, however you want to look at that. And we live our lives out according to that priority system in our lives. And we cannot fool God. God knows what your priorities are every day. He knows my priorities. You can't fool God. And your decisions have proven it over and over by the same outcomes that come from trying to get around what God asks you to do. I am so thankful for those men and women who not only desire to fish for men, but eagerly run and sometimes compete for the chance to teach Jesus to someone else. Now that's a race I want to be in. I want to be a part of that I have to race Freddy to reach Bob, to see who gets there first. That'd be an interesting race, wouldn't it, Freddy? That's a race of excitement. And there's no loser in that game, except Satan. But I wish we were all of that mind, that, that we would do that. And how different this world would be if all Christians everywhere would race to the doors of those they knew were lost to help them come to know Christ. My hope is that I might be the next one to help bring a lost child home in that race. And I pray that would be yours also. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. I can't tell you the number of times that Jesus spoke those words. Don't be afraid. Remember your mom and dad telling you that? Don't be afraid. Maybe it was dark in the room. Well, don't be afraid. It's okay. We're here. Maybe it was your first doctor's visit. Don't, don't be afraid. Or your first day at school. Don't be afraid. Or maybe your first date. Don't be afraid. One of the things that growing up I didn't ever realize until I got older was the reason why they could say don't be afraid was because they had experienced those things and guess what? They lived through it. And they learned from it. 
And Jesus tells us, don't be afraid, little flock. God has given you more than you will ever understand and given you the kingdom. And guess what? God's been watching history since history began. And he knows the outcome of these things. So don't be afraid. Jesus knew what lay beyond the open door. He could see the new and fresh anointing that that would be given to those who would walk past their fears. But he also knew that the majority of those who professed to follow him would avoid opportunities due to discomfort and unwillingness to get out of the safety of the boat they were in. So many opportunities missed. So many chances to grow washed away out to sea. Still, Jesus knew he had to motivate people, or at least try to. Jesus sent 72 disciples out, two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was to preach. He told them in Luke 10, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. You know the outcome of that story? I think this is fantastic. 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. 72 sent and 72 returned with joy. We don't see that today, do we? 100% of all those sent return with joy. I wonder what Jesus had said to those 72 to motivate them in such a way. The church today needs teachers. We're struggling to find teachers for classes. The church today needs workers, men who desire to be deacons and elders and preachers. This is God's plan of how the church is to be run. It's not my plan. It's not your plan unless you adopt it as his plan. And I'm always amazed at people who rise above the norm and follow their calling even when others work to discourage them. And I'm also dismayed at those who discourage others as they try to work. Now I have my thoughts on leadership and, and what I can say to help. I also have my thoughts on what I can say to discourage. I pray the Lord helps me in saying what's necessary to encourage. And let's just set the discouraging aside. It doesn't help anyone. It might help you in your instance in some way, but I don't think it really does. But we need to encourage each other every day, or as the Hebrew writer put it, as, as we see the day approaching. The 72 disciples were no more qualified to cast out demons than you or I are today. Yet God empowered them through the encouragement and the trust of Jesus in their walk. Jesus motivates us by giving us chances. And when we fail, he is our hope to pick us up. He offers a second, a third, a fourth, 
And maybe like me, a 15th, an 18th, a 30th. Whatever is needed, Jesus offers it. So you have to ask yourself this morning, are you smarter than God? If he offers new things to you, are you so smart to say, God, that's just not right for me? Will you deny yourself in this pursuit of finding out what Jesus wants out of your life? I'm glad that Jesus knew how to motivate. I'm glad that as I read the stories, I am motivated to continue in this walk, and I hope you are too. Jesus does know what I need, even when I don't see it. In John 12, 24 through 26, Jesus said, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life, have you put yourself into this verse? The man who loves his life will what? Will lose it. That's right, Fred. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. In order for us to see greater things in the kingdom, we must set aside some of our comfortable lifestyles and our comfortable ways and surrender our lives fully to our Lord and follow him through the ministries that he has set before us. Can you count the blessings you receive from new things in your life? Think about it. How about the first time you rode a bike? How many of us enjoy bike riding? We learned that through the experience of falling down, didn't we? And getting back up again. We're in the experience of a father or mother holding out the hands to keep us from falling. How about the first time you got behind a steering wheel? How many remember that experience and enjoyed it until the cop came? Then that's a different story. <laughs> How about going through childbirth, ladies? Or father's parenting for the first time. Wow, what a change in life. Probably one of the most drastic changes you'll make outside of marriage in your life. But they're exciting and they're new and they're fresh and, and they bring so many rewards. We're into grandchildren. It won't be a couple of years before we're into great-grandchildren. And how much we love life because of those blessings God gave us. Because one of us said to the other, or both of us said to each other, 40-odd years ago, I do. I will, and I will complete this promise to you. New jobs. I'm past those years of, of getting new jobs. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the Lord has something in mind for me. I don't know. But every new job brought all along a new journey, a new experience, and a new reward. Maybe you've been fortunate enough in your life to assist in the conversion of a lost soul. There is no greater joy in the world than to be a part of bringing someone to Christ. Amen? Each of these things, when you went through them, whether it was the bike, the steering wheel of a car, the birth of a son or daughter, a new job, they required you to give full surrender to that process while you were involved with it. Why should Christianity be anything different? This morning we have the eight things in front of us. 
of what Jesus is willing to do, capable of doing, and will do for us if we're willing to step out of the boat and begin a new work. Taylor Hudson was a missionary in the uh, late 1800s. He made the voyage on a sailing vessel to China to open up a new mission field. As the boat neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on his door. And he opened it and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor said, we have no wind. We are drifting toward an island where the people are heathen, and I fear they are cannibals. What can I do? asked Taylor. Well, I understand that you believe in God, said the captain. I want you to pray for wind. All right, captain. I will. But if I'm going to pray for wind, you need to set the sails up. Well, there's a lot of confidence in that when you think about that. That's ridiculous, said the captain. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. But finally, because of Taylor's insistence, he agreed. Forty-five minutes later, he returned and found the missionary still on his knees. He says, you can stop praying now. we got more wind than we know what to do with. You see, faith believes that God's will is done in God's way and will not lack God's provision. It's not about me. It's not about you or us or how we feel. It's whether or not we're going to rely on God to supply the needs, to supply the wisdom, the provisions. Because of Taylor's insistence on going forward, one million Chinese turned to faith in Christ through the years of his ministry. Today there are over 100 million Christians in China because of this man's decision to believe that God would provide. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Will you choose to believe? The message is yours this morning. If there's any way the church can help you, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, the water is ready. If you need the prayers of the church, we're ready to pray. Whatever you need, please let it be known at this time as we stand and sing.